Hello and welcome to the PCOS Nutritionist Podcast. If we haven't met yet, then my name is Claire. I'm a registered nutritionist and I also hold a qualification in exercise science, that's my other degree, uh, natural fertility education and functional medicine. And I have PCOS too, so I know how damn frustrating these symptoms can be. But I also know after 10 years or more of trial and error, how good it can be on the other side when most of those symptoms are in remission and I'm no longer without a period for three years, right? Like I have ovulated now every month for the last five years. Um, I also know what it's like to not have to deal with acne or unexplained weight gain for the first time in my life being able to maintain my weight without really thinking about it. And for you, those symptoms might be facial body hair growth or hair loss. Um, fatigue was another one that I struggled with. Uh, and so many other things that people don't talk about, like blood sugar crashes and severe sugar cravings. Or maybe it's that feeling like you need to sleep forever to ever feel refreshed. So my philosophy is that PCOS is a condition that is a combination of your genetics and environment not playing nicely together. Now PCOS is a genetically driven condition, right? We have the genes that predispose us to PCOS, but your genes don't determine your future or don't determine uh, or aren't guaranteed to determine your future. It's really a matter of the environment has to turn those genes on to make them uh, present. So equally though, we can turn those genes off and not get those symptoms. So what I want to find out is what's really, what's affecting your, uh, or what's driving your PCOS. So what systems in your body are not functioning optimally that are causing your body to have these symptoms? And there are a few things that the research shows can really drive this. The main one is blood sugar and our hormone insulin which controls our blood sugar. The next most common is our stress hormones. The third most common is a thyroid condition and then chronic inflammation, or it can be some other uh, causes as well, but those are really the main things. So for me, and when I work with my patients, the most important thing is to find out what's driving that for you, because then we can then have very specific lifestyle changes that are actually going to work. We're no longer just jumping from diet to diet, hoping that something will work. Right? We know what the problem is and we can then put together a solution. Right? It's like going to your mechanic and you know, if you went to your mechanic and said, hey, my car's not starting, you know, if they said to you, oh, um, okay, well, let's try, we'll order a different motor. And you're like, sorry, excuse me? Like, have you even tried turning it on? Have you looked at it? Have you figured out what could be causing it? And they're like, no, 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 we'll just buy a new motor and see if that works. And you're like, hold on, that's a really expensive way to go about fixing my car. You wouldn't accept that, right? You'd, you'd go, right, well, figure out what's going wrong. And that's the same thing as we need to do with our PCOS. We need to figure out first what's going wrong before we can put the right plan in place. Otherwise, we're just using a scattergun approach and hoping that something works. And I think this is something that we don't understand or haven't really thought about, is that changing our lifestyle, like slightly tweaking what we eat or maybe how we move or the vitamins and minerals in our body um, or how much we sleep can have a dramatic impact on the way that our hormones work. But if we don't know what to focus on, then we're so scattered and we're just trying to do everything, which is just either not achievable or not sustainable. So this is the way that I work with you and helping you understand what are the most important things you should be doing. And that really is only four or five things. It's not changing your entire lifestyle and diet and getting you to cut out every possible food group under the sun or setting up with unrealistic training expectations where you have to exercise four hours a day. It's, you don't have to do that and to see success and see results. And actually people that do tend to do those things like cutting out massive food groups or training four hours a day often find that their symptoms get worse because they're so tired and so grumpy that they can't stick with any changes. So I help you through my program, the PCOS Protocol, uh, and this is something that's it's, it's not just a PDF we send you. This is a program that I work with you on. So I'm there every week answering questions from you, doing live calls with you, trying to p 
personalize and, and change things that you have the maximum effect um, while we understand what's driving this for you and what changes you need to make. So that's a bit about me and a bit about us. And let's get into the topic for today, though, because that is what you are here for. So Daisy, thank you so much for joining me, especially on your honeymoon. You absolute <laughs> legend. Take time out of your honeymoon to join me. Um, it's so kind of you to share your story with everyone else. And and I know that a lot of people are going to resonate with your your story. And especially um, when we talk a lot about, you know, your life and what's happened in the last year. So, but before we get there, can you please just take us back to what you think the start of your PCOS journey was? Um. I got diagnosed when I was 17 or 18. Um, I didn't really understand anything. I didn't really care if I was honest because I was a teenager. It just wasn't really that important to me. They told me I had mild PCOS. They put me on the pill and I stayed on the pill and forgot about it for 15 years, (laughs) pretty much. And I've only come off the pill um, 2020, January. So uh it's coming up to two years now Mm. so um yeah it was only when I came off the pill and crazy things started happening that I thought "Hmm, maybe I should look into this PCOS thing (laughs) and what were those what were those crazy things for you uh well my periods completely stopped obviously didn't even find out till then at the age of probably 33 that while I was on the pill for all those years that the bleeds weren't actually even periods um and uh yeah I just I just didn't feel right I was really tired all the time my anxiety got really bad um but it also sort of tied in the time where Covid started so it was hard to tell whether it was you know a worldwide pandemic or <laughs> it I just wanted to sort of sort it out um, me and my partner, um, yeah, we just got married. So back then and now is sort of that time where it's, we're, we're starting to think about starting our own family. Mm-hmm. So I just and I knew that coming off the pill might be like a, a like a long. It might take a long time to get my body into a good place to start a family. So I thought, even though I'm not thinking about it now, I want to prepare myself. That makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah, it's it's a really sensible move anyone that's listening to this and thinking maybe you're in the same boat I think it's a great idea to especially if you've been as you said you've been on the pill since you were 16 17 um likelihood is that your periods weren't that regular then but you can't remember what they were like because it was such a long time ago or Mm. even you don't really know because often teenagers periods are quite irregular and so you don't actually know if yours what they were like or not and it just gives you that time gives you the time to work things out and well, as you said, the pill, um, while it can give us a regular bleed, it stops us from ovulating, which is the main thing we need to, to get pregnant. And so if we're not ovulating, then we need to sort that out and fix that. And two years is a really great length of time to allow that to happen and get that back working optimally. Um, and I know for you as well, there was um, things that uh, other symptoms like acne and IBS as well mm-hmm. that yeah. um, did you have I know you had the IBS when you were on the pill did you have the acne while you're on the pill as well yeah well it would I'd, I'd like change to a different pill and then it would disappear for like six months to a year and then it'd be back again <laughs> so it sort of helped for a bit and then the, yeah. the effects would wear off yeah yeah it's funny isn't it and I um, I guess it's because the acne is being caused by that testosterone and maybe the, the pill, you know, is, is dampening down that testosterone for a period of time. And, but then, as you said, maybe the effect wears off for a little bit and that comes, that comes crying back for you. Weird. Like what was your acne like? Was it quite cystic? Was it, um, under the skin quite painful or was it more superficial? Um, it was around the jawline and on my cheeks and yeah, it was big cystic painful spots like the size of smarties Mm. (laughs) you might not know what a smartie is (laughs) not being from the UK but um yeah like big and if I got one then that would be it for six weeks that would be there um and now um those are gone um and if I do get a spot it's either around ovulation time or around my period and 
it's more closer to the surface and it will be gone in five days. So mm. it's a crazy change. I don't expect to never have a spot again because I think that's unrealistic. Mm. <laughs> but my skin's improved a lot. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I remember you also saying that um, one thing that you never realised was that you had quite bad IBS symptoms and then actually mm-hmm. improved when you came off the pill, right? Yeah. Um, I don't really remember when it sort of started. And I remember having it when I was 19. So maybe it did just start like when I went on the pill and then a few years before I came off the pill, it got bad again. But yeah, um, with I've, I've got this app that you track stuff on and I was tracking whenever I had an upset stomach and within two months of coming off the pill I went from diarrhea every single day lovely I know this is I hope that's not too much information um to to being completely normal and then yeah it's been nearly two years now and it never came back or Mm. yeah it just disappeared yeah, this is something that I think that a lot of young, so we see irritable bowel syndrome really commonly in young females, right? Like I'd, I don't know when I was at university, I, I don't think I can would, would know one of my friends that didn't have IBS symptoms, right? It just seemed to be this really common thing. And one of the reasons is because estrogen can, um, can definitely make IBS symptoms worse, but also the pill. So when we're taking the synthetic estrogen and progesterone in the pill as well, can definitely you know cause IBS symptoms like for you diarrhea. For other people, it can be bloating, gas, um, mm-hmm. and I th- yeah, I think that's really not commonly known. But really good for everyone to hear this chat because they might be like, "Wow, I've yeah, actually, I had the same thing, and I'm still on the pill, and I'm still getting it. I wonder if this is actually driving that for me." So um, a really yeah, a really interesting thing to to pick yeah. up on. Yeah. So for you, those were kind of the main symptoms, right? Like really irregular, well, missing periods, completely missing once mm-hmm. you come off the pill. Um, the acne and um, and the the IBS. Um, so for you now, having gone through all of that, when we start in the protocol, one of the main things we do is for the first, pretty much the first entire week, we try and work out what your root cause is. And so for you, what did you find out about your body that was really driving that acne and the irregular cycles? Yeah, I think it was definitely um, insulin and stress. Mm. But I think also the PCOS sort of drove my anxiety because that's improved um, like crazy amounts since I've done this as well. So I think I was in a bit of a vicious circle of that making it worse. And since I've helped out my insulin, everything's just improved. <laughs> mm. And that's and it's it's so often the case, right? Sometimes, definitely, when it comes to mental health, that can be multifactorial. But mm. there's um, what I find disappointing in the in the chat about mental health is that there's a lot of there's a lot of focus on talk, talk therapies and things like that, which are really helpful and really great. And there's a lot of focus on medication but there's not a a lot of focus on what's actually driving that and fixing the problem as well as well as and oftentimes it needs to be a combination approach definitely but what I'm seeing is that people get put on medication and they go and see a therapist but no one's really looking at well is there something actually physiological driving this um, this process as well and so for you you know, you've obviously seen that when actually your body starts working better, suddenly mental health starts to improve dramatically too. Yeah, this is the first time I've been off, like the longest time I've been off anxiety medication. And I've been on anxiety medication for insomnia as well. Like it it was all linked and I didn't really know. Mm. <laughs> and um, I don't know if you remember at the beginning of the protocol, I typed into, on the, on the, in the group chat, like, is it normal to cry every single day? <laughs> Everything was making me cry like, every soppy song adverts just I felt like my emotions were really really close to surface mm. and hard to control and now I do sometimes feel like that if like I do something that's gonna make my blood sugar go up and then it will have a drop then that drop will cause that feeling again um but I used to feel like it all the time and now it's just you know if I eat something that probably shouldn't which mm. we all do every now and again absolutely <laughs> <laughs> And that's really, I think that's such a, a great thing to recognize is that, okay, I now know that what I'm feeling, that 
um, the emotion that I'm feeling is actually my blood sugar going up and down rather than mm. just being so unaware of, as you said, it's like, is it normal to cry all the time? Why am I crying all the time? Whereas now being on the other side and being like, okay, that's fine. It's just my insulin. I, I know that I just need to, yeah, maybe I've had pancakes for breakfast or something like that. And yes, my blood sugar has skyrocketed up and then it's come crashing down. That's okay. I just need to have some fat or some protein to balance that out. And we'll be back on track today. And most of the other days, I know that pancakes aren't really the best for me. They're a great treat, but they're not an everyday food. So knowing that information now and being able to actually kind of fix that issue is mm. just such a liberating just such such a liberating thing and, and knowledge to have it's really changed things like my life just feels completely so much less stressful yeah and also just like emotionally far more stable right mm. yeah because it was just it was draining <laughs> so draining so draining mm. I was actually just speaking before um to Isabel who's also in our protocol life is also based in London and she was like it's just so just so much my quality of life has improved so much by just understanding that a lot of the feelings that I was getting the really obsession around food and when I was when I was going to get my next meal and things like that I don't feel like that anymore because my blood sugar is so much more controlled and I don't think that people that haven't experienced what we've experienced realize just how much of a toll it takes on your quality of life. Um, and so for you, you're so finding out that your, you know, your insulin and your stress hormones are really driving a lot of these symptoms and now actually um, having implemented the steps that I recommend in the protocol that we went through and now being on the other side, one thing that I really want to talk to you about, given that this is, you know, we're talking all about the new year and, and forming great habits over the long term as opposed to just signing up to a new diet or doing something that's like a transformation that you might do for five weeks when really five weeks is not enough to form new habits and create a new lifestyle and you're more than likely going to be back in the same position you were in 10 weeks mm. this whereas you you're now you're coming up to your year anniversary of actually yeah. working with this so what is it, because um, it's not like you have been wrapped in cotton wool, right? Like one of your major things you do is you write a food blog. And so you're out um, at restaurants trying new foods. It's not like you've been like, okay, I'm going to stay at home and cook everything, every meal and control every single factor. So what is it about what you've done that has made you successful over to keep with this over a year as opposed to reverting back to old habits 12 weeks later I think where I feel so much better the incentive is there and mm. I don't even want the things that I probably shouldn't eat as much because I don't want to feel like I did when I when I found the protocol I'd been looking all over the whole of Instagram <laughs> to try and find the one thing that's going to just fix me which doesn't exist but yeah I feel like I was just really overwhelmed with information and then when I found you I just thought well she's going to just tell me what to do and all I've got to do is follow it I don't have to think I can just go with it throw myself in and do it and that's exactly what I did and in that time I obviously learned a crazy amount of how like my body works and then um, it all sort of coincided with a, a UK lockdown down at the same time. So I had lots of time to figure out what worked for me and what didn't. If I'm at home, it's obviously easy just to know what sort of meals I can make quickly mm -hmm. that aren't too much hassle. Yeah. And then when I'm out, I just make sure I just I tend to order just like loads and loads of sides of different vegetables, mm. have some protein, and then I can try whatever I want to try. If I want to try the thing the loaded fries that I know that aren't going to be great for me I'll have a bit and then my lovely husband who likes to eat everything that's left over <laughs> will eat that bit so I just know what I can sort of do within like the scope of what's sensible mm -hmm. sometimes I do have a meal that's not sensible um but I know you say that you can sort of live a 80 20 so I I do let myself eat a big plate of nachos once in a while if that or a pizza if that's what I want so knowing these things that you can apply throughout is is really helpful right as opposed to because mm -hmm. a, a lot of programs and things give you like a meal plan and mm -hmm. and that's all well and good but you don't actually understand why you're 
doing something while you're eating something and therefore also have the time to reflect and go, how did that make me feel? Was I hungry an hour later? Was I craving sugar an hour later? Or was I actually satiated and sustained for three or four hours after that? And like getting that, you know, understanding why you're making a change um, then makes it really easy to adapt that in the real world as opposed to just following a meal plan. And then when you're released into the real world, you're like, ah, God, what do I do? Like, I, you know, I don't know what to choose. I don't know how to navigate eating out. I don't know how to navigate eating at other people's houses. I don't know how to navigate social situations with alcohol and um, and cake and and when, you know, the, the fact that I can eat what I want 20% of the time, uh, you know, as I said, it doesn't matter if I have like... It, all of the food I ever wanted at my own wedding, great. Like that's exactly what I want you to do. Right? You don't need to be asking the chefs to create you some bespoke meal for you to have at your own wedding. Mm. Right? Because that, that sort of thing is just not achievable. There's no way you would be here a year later if that was what no. you were set up with. In a way, sort of all these diets, I've been on a lot of diets and they, they if you're following something really strict, you're sort of in a way teaching yourself to ignore your body's cues. And whether you're hungry or not, that's your meal like afterwards. If you're still hungry afterwards, then that's that. And that's not good. <laughs> like, this has taught me to listen to myself. And if I am still hungry, then I'll, um, I'll eat more. Yeah. But of the right thing. <laughs> Absolutely. And the more that you have that, then, then you actually make good choices. If you feel like you mm. don't you're being forced into not eating, then you're more likely to be then like, oh, we'll stuff it. I'm just going to eat that block of chocolate, right? Which is going to have the absolute, you know, opposite effect of what we want to actually achieve. Whereas if you're like, oh, I'm still hungry. Great. Go back for a second helping of, second helping of salad or have some dark chocolate or have some whatever it is that, you know, that you know is going to work within the guidelines that I give you so that you can actually make these choices. Um, because this is tell us about your tell us about your food blog and what you do because I think this is so fascinating and so it'd be so interesting for many people to realize that you can live a very 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 normal life with PCOS and also manage these symptoms like if you look on my blog it's just like so many desserts and burgers and things and with with all social media you're it's an edit of what I actually eat I try all of it but I might not eat all of whatever portion Mm. Um, so I get a lot of invites to restaurants and then I'll sort of take pictures and review the food and then my post is like an exchange for my meal sort of thing instead of ordering a burger each we'll order a burger between us and a salad I've worked out how I can sort of be on track and I'm I'm fine with it I don't feel like I'm missing out but also I don't feel horrible afterwards (laughs) yeah absolutely and you're still managing to get all of your symptoms improved so you know Mm. the fact that you've the cystic acne has improved um, dramatically. As you said, probably not realistic to ever think that that's going to be completely disappeared, but hey, it may do. Um, but especially as well, your periods, you know, going from having completely no period to now, I think it was by, what was it, by September, they were like 35 days or something like that, if I remember rightly. Um, I think I'm about 40, 42, but it's like clockwork, even after my wedding. It was 42 days, which mm. I thought, uh, I thought to myself, I'm not going to stress myself out if it doesn't happen. Because you end up like building up in your head quite a lot. <laughs> if you're like wanting to have a period every month, like you, you end up overthinking it. But anyway, um, I was like, I'm not, I'm not going to stress myself out because I know that before the wedding, I was really stressed. There's no, there's no way that you can plan a wedding and have a wedding without feeling some stress. That's, mm. That would be unrealistic to think that that would happen. Yeah, and um, especially not a wedding in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> so it's that thing of, of like now having this, you know, like you know you're going to be stressed and therefore it then affects your cycles as opposed to now mm. knowing that you're going to be stressed but also knowing how to manage that stress as best as possible that then it doesn't affect your ovulation and your cycles is, again, such a great life skill because there are going to be so many times in your life where there is a huge amount of stress and Mm. knowing how to adapt and manage that similar to, you know, how you've just spoken about knowing how to adapt in your meals when you go out, that you can still eat everything you want, but it just might be a slightly different portion size, or it might be um, that I don't, I choose not to have the burger tonight because I I had one last night. And instead tonight I'm going to have more of, as you said, pick more of the sides and have a little portion of fries and then 
um, lovely husband eats the rest of them. Um, but yeah, just, you know, knowing how to navigate that and, and adapt to your current environment means that you can stick. They're not hard changes to stick to, right? It's just that yeah. when it becomes, it just becomes second nature when you're choosing that from the menu. And, and that's going to be especially important now when you're on your month long honeymoon, honeymoon around yeah. the US <laughs> and yeah. so many like, so many great places and great cities in the time where I'm sure that you have like, you have organized a lot of these eating out occasions and mm. like, you know, I'm sure you've been like trawling through Instagram, finding the great places to go to and, um, and you know, like, um, and being a foodie, a lot of your holiday will be around food. Yeah. So realizing that you can still do that and make those choices is so liberating. So being able to do that and still get the outcome that you want and still feel like, yeah, we got to try that. We've got to, you know, go to this place that I've been following for a while and experience yeah. that and great. You know, are you, are you blogging while you're on your honeymoon? Are you writing reviews and like, yeah, always just yeah. always thinking about food. <laughs> exactly and just that being able to do that and so it doesn't actually stop any part of your life it's just about slightly altering that um for your own physiology for how your body works and how your insulin works but also to being liberated that you can you know previously you would have had to have thought about okay we're we going to the national parks like are we doing a hike how long is it going to be is it going to be more than two hours where am I going to get food what am I going to take like mm you know, all those things that you have to think about when your blood sugar and insulin aren't working properly for many of us, not all of us, but many of us, to now being completely liberated and go, oh, it doesn't really matter. I know that I can survive easily for four hours plus so long as I've had my, you know, my good breakfast. Yeah, like before I would be so hangry. Mm. My husband would have to put up with me being really short with him to just try and find somewhere as fast as possible because it feels like a race against time. Yeah. So stressful. And now I'm in my rush. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And especially when you're such a foodie as well and you want to be eating at a good place, right? You don't want to waste yeah. that meal at a yeah, exactly. just because you're going to have to wait in line or you can't find anywhere. So mm. <laughs> that, that, that's really important. And, yeah. um, and so I think like talking about great habit changes, one of the things that I encourage you guys to do is, is when you're on holiday is set a couple of non-negotiables that you do um, – all the time and then other than that you can you know you can live pretty freely so for me I'm the same as you it's always so long as I have my good breakfast I'm then I know that I'm going to be well and I make sure I take that with me so as you said taking my like you know having some protein powder that at least I can make a smoothie or something like that and then the other one for me generally is that I do something active every day what are your yeah. things during this honeymoon that are going to be your non-negotiables well, definitely the breakfast and yeah, probably not like intentionally, but when we do go away, we do tend to do a lot of walking. So mm. you just end up being quite active and, and that's exactly mm. the, you know, you can tick those boxes, whereas it's not thinking that because a lot of the things we we do, we might change. So we talk about how important sleep is and things, but it doesn't mean that you need to you know, be getting to bed by 9 p.m. every night. If you want to go out to a show or something like that, that's not going to be realistic. Yeah. So knowing that you don't have to do all habit changes and keep up all habit changes all the time, but that sometimes you can do the bare minimum and still get by. Luckily, I've got a husband that's really like loves a routine. So <laughs> I think we won't be like going out having too many like crazy nights out he likes to be in bed by a certain time <laughs> obviously like not all the time we're on holiday but um we will get a lot of sleep I'm sure <laughs> yeah absolutely so, mm. the other thing that I find is really helpful as well is um in terms of sticking with habits is um pairing habits that like with something that we enjoy so if it's like being active and it's like well we're, we're on holiday we're going to be going and seeing all these things we might as well walk there as opposed to getting a taxi yeah um so little things like that as well can be so helpful when it's just I was just talking to Isabel before we were doing a podcast and she was like my thing was you know getting out and being active in the morning before work and that's all very well in London when it's summer but when it starts to get now December January and it's all dark um it's it's really hard when you know not so motivated but hers was I pair my habit like going for a walk with something I enjoy which is listening to a podcast um and often there are like a, a crime podcast or a funny podcast or something like that um and so sometimes like stacking that habit with something else that you enjoy or just need to do like get around for transport 
is a really easy way of making that. So you're not having to like do a workout on holiday, like on your honeymoon, like, mm. which would just be not achievable for most people. But it's just that I can be active as part of as part of the holiday, as part of the enjoyment of seeing a new place. Yeah, yeah, I think that's important. Um, yeah. But I've got I've I've bought myself like little goals at home. I'm working from home most of the time, mm. so I can like log off my computer at five, and I I usually chuck something in the oven for dinner, and then that's when I while it's cooking, that's when I do my workout, and then by the time my workout's done, there's food ready. <laughs> so yeah, that's my that's my routine. <laughs> yeah, and that's a great habit stack. It's like okay, well I know that I. I like literally what, what would I be doing apart from waiting, sitting, sitting around the kitchen, waiting for that meal to cook or like scrolling on Instagram or something like that. I might as well pair it with doing the exercise. And then literally I know that by the time I finish the exercise meal, will be ready and mm-hmm. then I'm done and dusted. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a, yeah. It, and doing things like, yeah, doing things like that, finding ways of implementing these things into your lifestyle that, then they then just become part and parcel of your life, right? It's mm. not you don't really have to think about it after a while. I think I saw. I think I heard something on one of your podcasts about snack exercising, and that really interested me. And I often do that if I'm on hold. Um, I just go into a plane because I'm at home. So why not? <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Or I'll do some squats. Yeah, so snack, ex- snack exercising is just about the fact that you don't have to dedicate an entire hour to go and do a workout. Mm. You could literally, like, while you're waiting for the jug to boil to make yourself a cup of tea, do 20 squats. While you're waiting for the shower to heat up, do a couple of lunges down the hallway, nude if you like. Yeah. Um, or, <laughs> like, you know, things like that that can be as effective as, like, dedicating. But, you know, if you're if you're short on time or you're really struggling with – creating a routine around it is like well all I really need to know is I just how to get into a habit like that how to get into Mm. um, exercising and that that broken up and and is often just as effective as dedicating an entire 20 minutes or an hour to it and it's the same thing as well that I always tell you guys if you people are not getting into exercise or you know really struggling to get into exercise is that setting a really small barrier like I mm. we have in the protocol the five minute rule where it's just like it, don't think about having to go and do a workout for like 20 minutes just think about it like okay I just need to do five minutes because five minutes is then sets the expectation that you can't say no to it everyone's got five minutes so there's no excuse to but also to uh there's not a huge barrier if you don't feel like it after five minutes you can stop but if you do feel like keeping going you can also keep going and I think that's the that's also the good thing about snack exercises is that you can, you know, if you were then had a break between work and you'd already started doing some squats, then, okay, could I continue doing a few more and a couple of other exercises? Yeah. And by before I know it, I've done 15 minutes and I would have otherwise not achieved that that day. Yeah, I'll often put like my favourite song on and think, right, I'll do it to the end of this song. And then I can like dance around the living room enjoying my favorite song and then when it's over I'm like oh actually I'm quite enjoying this so I might as well carry on yeah absolutely chickens in the oven (laughs) and that's such a great way again it's that it's that stacking that habit with something else that you really enjoy so um if it is like something that gets you going like putting on a really good song and then you're more likely to continue with that as opposed to having Mm -hmm. to drag yourself you know into something that you're not really enjoying it's you already have got those endorphins from that really great song going and and then you're like oh well what would be the harm in continuing for the next 10 minutes while the chicken's cooking anyway well yeah actually yeah not such a big deal but people often listen to that and think oh it must have been easy for you you must have you know started making a changes and within you know two weeks you were suddenly feeling amazing and of course it's easy for you because once you then feel good you're going to stick with those changes but that's not often the case you know realizing that it's taken a long time for our body to get where it is and Mm. we can't expect that we're just gonna be able to reverse that within two weeks even if we're doing all of the right things yeah I knew that it would take a while and I had it was locked down as well which I think helped I thought got a bit of time here so do it properly and then if I've done it properly and it doesn't work then I can just say well I did it properly and tried so that's the sort of frame of mind I went into it with um I think there was a few things that sort of helped me carry on. Uh, Before I started the protocol, maybe six months before, um, I had an ultrasound on my ovaries and was told that I had textbook PCOS ovaries. Um, 
like the, like you could see all the follicles. And then in the February or the March, after doing practical for maybe six to, that's probably, I don't know, maybe like 10 weeks in then, I went for another scan and my ovaries looked completely normal. Mm. Um, and I came out like, wow, this is working. And that made me want to double down. <laughs> yeah, continue. <laughs> yeah. And, and, but also before then, before you'd had that feedback, you'd also, you know, you had continued, yeah. right? Whereas, because a lot of people, yeah. they get, you know, they might get in and do something, especially if, um, I, I do find this, especially when people are expecting a, 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 a lot of weight loss or something like that, is mm. that when you've been conditioned by media and by like these 12 week transformations that you should lose half a kilo to a kilo a week for, you know, and that's that's weight loss. And then you come in and you change and you make all these what can feel like sacrifices because they're a massive change to what you've been otherwise doing. And you think, well, hang on, why haven't I lost any weight? Or why has my period not returned immediately? Or why am I still getting mm. acne? And um, you might not get any of that biofeedback. And especially for you, like a lot of people do start to feel better really quickly, but for you, you didn't. And so you had to push mm. through that. Um what was there anything else that helped you to push through that? Was it knowing like what you were, why you were doing what you were doing or was it um, anything else that you can think of that helped you kind of get through that hard slog first few weeks? I just wanted to feel better. <laughs> I just really, really wanted to feel better. And I know you made us all write down our, our wires and um, I've still got the notes on my phone. Um, I wrote them like in my phone notes so I can mm. read them whenever I want to. I this just, is the first one of the first activities I get you to do in the protocol is, is mm. write down what just everyone understands what your why is, why you want to ch- why you want to do this program. Um, and really trying to get to the emotional core of why you're doing it. Not just like, oh my doctor told me I need to lose weight or my I want to get pregnant, but it's like, well, but why? And when you go into the real kind of like core of it, the emotional reason, it becomes a really powerful motivator. You got that on your on your notes on your phone to to come back. Yeah, to. yeah. So I can create, so I can look back at it whenever I want to. Yeah, yeah. And the other thing too that I, you mentioned before that's quite important is that you didn't have to think about the changes that you were making, right? It was like, okay, I you know, yeah. As part of the protocol, I get told what I need to do each each week, and not necessarily not not a meal plan because that's not going to work for most people, especially if you're eating out most of the time. You, but the guidelines are there that you can adapt to suit you, but it's like you, you get told what you need to focus on each week. So you don't have to think about it. You're not, you're, you're not searching Instagram anymore, trying to find like Mm. different things that people are doing, different diets and then, and then trying to work out what they're doing and following those. It's like, okay, I just, I can just literally kind of tune out and and follow along and don't have to think about it too much. And it's not like a life overhaul. um, Like most first of January diets where from that Monday you change everything that you, you're doing and you never eat anything good again it's it's sort of drip fed it's really slow um so it's not it doesn't feel like it's really overwhelming and scary and also it's not completely changing what you're doing you might just tweak things so it's not yeah like- it's just like a, a, a series of small changes and then Look further on down the line, you're like, oh, I've actually done all this, but it doesn't feel like it at the time because you're just adding a tiny bit in each day. Yeah, yeah, really and also it. just tweaking. So it's not like, oh, suddenly I have to give up my food blog because I can never eat out again. It's like, yeah. oh, no, I just need, to, I just now know how I can modify those meals and what I can order to still fit within the guidelines eighty percent of the time. So knowing that is what's, you know, is, is really what's going to keep you keep you know keep those habits changed because it doesn't it really in terms of your long-term health and symptoms it makes no difference what you do for six weeks or um it's it's what you do for the year that's yeah. going to set you up well for um for life and for improving those symptoms so if you given that you signed up last january if you were you know talking to yourself again this january what advice would you give to 20, 2020 daisy just to keep at it. <laughs> I um I got my testosterone checked at the beginning of the protocol and it was 3.03 nanomoles per litre. And I literally just had a blood test like a week ago and it was down to 1.76, wow. which 
is yeah I've had it tested every two months and it's really 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 slowly been coming down and by next January I'll be in if I carry on which I will I'll be in normal range so I think I had to tell myself that like it's not a quick thing it's it's not like it's it's like almost like um steering a cruise liner like it's a really slow thing where you just do tiny incremental turns and but then over a long period of time it's a big change and you you don't need to think of it as just 12 weeks and then like really really hard and then never think about it again it's not like that you you need to think of it as small changes to your daily lifestyle I suppose um I think at the beginning I did find it quite difficult to the 80-20 thing I found that quite difficult because I'm because probably because of diet culture and diets that I've been on I had this all or nothing attitude and it took me a while to let myself have that 20% um, I did find that quite difficult but once I started and I realized that it was I wasn't going to be back at square one when I did have that meal I wasn't off the wagon <laughs> then that made a massive that was a big turning point as well absolutely and I think that um also it's just realizing that what we're trying to what we're trying to get at is what can you get away with right like mm, what, yeah what's the kind of the minimal minimum we need to do to still get the outcome that we need and as opposed to what a lot of us have come in from as you said from diet culture or other things is we have to do everything as strictly as possible. Otherwise, we're not going mm. to get the result, which is just not how our body works, right? It's just like that. And, is- if, you, and if you don't do it, you're a failure. Yeah. You need to get out of, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and that's, and actually, that actually sets us up for, for failure because then we go, oh, well, I mm. failed and I can't stick with this. So what's the point? And I'm just going to go back to eating what I normally do or I'm just going to eat whatever I want today and then... Um, so for you, was that what you found hard was just, was allowing yourself to have those, those, you know, the, the, the foods that you wanted to, that weren't necessarily the best for your insulin, but without mm. feeling guilt or without then that turning into a whole day or a whole week, um, I don't want to say binge, but you know, the, like being off the wagon and then, and then being like, all right, I've got to get back into it now. Yeah. It was just like a really black and white thinking of thinking okay so if I'm have that piece of pizza with my salad because I'm at a work thing and everyone's eating pizza I, I think I ordered a salad and I was like actually I'm going to have a slice of pizza and then afterwards I was like oh I've had a slice of pizza That's, it's so ridiculous now thinking back at it but it was just it was just that black and white thinking of like okay I'm not doing that now but that's not what I was doing I was just having something that I wanted when the rest of the day I was having like what I should be having yeah, absolutely. And then mm. when you then realize that's okay and you're like, oh my gosh, I've yeah. actually got permission to do this. You're like, wow, okay, I, this is something I can really stick to now because it's not unachievable and it's not, I don't have to have those feelings of guilt around food that I want to eat or um, or just that it's like, that it's a, you know, a piece of pizza can be associated with so much self-deprecating talk right that that doesn't Mm. need to happen and it frees us up mentally as well to then go I don't you know most of my time doesn't have to now be stuck in this mindset of oh you failed you're bad like it is we can we can be very free to not have those discussions with ourselves in our head and when you're sort of allowed something you don't even want it as much Mm. (laughs) because you can have it whenever you want yeah so then it just I found it really free yeah it doesn't become that big forbidden fruit mm. yeah and I, I think that that's the that is really what we have to get to in order to stick to these things I, I think there's probably very very few people probably in the less than one percent in the world that can live lifelong very very strictly um, following mm. a, a diet plan and and they are a very certain um, type of person that a lot of their other lifestyle is quite regimented as well and so it's just unachievable for most of us to do that and so feeling like we need to live up to that is also it's also not necessary for our body to work optimally so it's just not yeah just not necessarily what we need to do um and for you the looking I remember you saying before when I asked you what what would you say to 
to Daisy because I know that one of your other things was you noticed that um, weight loss happened, especially around your like mm. around your waist, but that wasn't immediate either, right? Um, no, it was. I think it must have been like after just after we finished the protocol that it started happening. Yeah, so that's yeah. twelve weeks. Twelve mm. weeks of working on your getting your hormones, getting your blood sugar and your stress hormones more stabilized before your body then goes, ah, oh, okay. Finally, I can actually burn some body fat because this is piece weight loss and PCOS really comes down to um, not only eating less than what you're burning, but most importantly, having your hormones balanced to allow your body to burn fat. And when our insulin is too high, we can't actually we can't actually use our body fat for energy. And so you can be eating as little as you want. It, often it doesn't make a difference because mm. your insulin is too high to allow that to happen. And so that's why it can take a long time for that you know, for you, 12 weeks, which in any other program you would have given up way before because you're like, oh, well, this is marketed at a weight loss program and I haven't lost a, I haven't lost, you know, a centimeter or a kilo pound. Mm. Like, what is this thing? Whereas when you know, okay, my hormones need to be stabilized for that to happen, you can then, you, you can then a lot more confidently keep going. I remember at Christmas, I tried on this pair of jeans um, that I hadn't worn since I had a really bad mental health year where I'd lost loads of weight for anxiety and then I'd bought these jeans and loved them and then life happened and um, I tried them on in January and there was a four inch gap between the button the buttonhole and now they fit comfortably <laughs> so and I've got back to that weight and I'm not in like mental distress like I'm anxiety my anxiety is really low at the moment so that's quite amazing position to be in absolutely and, and also just now being in that position where you can easily maintain that weight right you don't really have to think mm. about it as you said you weren't thinking about losing it necessarily like it wasn't like depriving mm. yourself and being hungry it's you know getting those hormones stabilized has been enough for you um and but realizing that it can take the time but you know, if we if we aren't patient then we you would have been in, in exactly the same position today is what you were last January right yeah. where the jeans still don't mm. fit and if we expect and we have uncommon with unrealistic expectations of what is going to happen as opposed to looking at this as a long-term approach like okay well so by next January these are the kind of things that, that I hope will have achieved as opposed to expecting we're going to get an immediate result in a, you know in the week so it's like oh if I've eaten if I've been really quote-unquote good then mm. my period will come next week or my acne will disappear or I will have lost weight. And that's, that's just not how our body works. And so if we're constantly focused on the symptom outcome as opposed to like actually, this is why I get you guys in the protocol to focus on the habits that you're forming as opposed to the like the symptom feedback, then we're going to be able to maintain those changes. Whereas if we're always looking for that feedback from our symptoms to you know, to basically, <laughs> as a way of congratulating ourselves on how well we've done, then we're probably going to be like really disappointed in the first few weeks too. Mm. It's taken me like five plus years to get where I am today, right? Mm. Like where I can live, I don't wake up every Monday thinking about what I'm going to eat or what diet I'm going to be on or what I'm not going to do um, or like wondering or just trawling the internet trying to find out what works or what, what the next best thing is going to be or trying the next diet. And it's so liberating. And yes, it's taken mm. a long time, but I mean, gosh, would I, if I, I wouldn't change that for the world. The fact that I'm still here now, as opposed to I could be, I could still be in the position I was five years ago if I hadn't kind of stuck with some of these changes, if I hadn't really understood the root, my root cause and why I was doing what I was doing and what made sense for my body, as opposed to just jumping between you know, at the moment I could be going, the trendy diets would be keto and intermittent fasting and vegan and doing between all of those diets and still not really seeing any change, even though I felt like I was putting a massive effort. Yeah, I feel like it's taken a lot of the thinking out of it. I don't have to really think about all these different things or worry about them. I always, up until I started the protocol, I've lived my life just thinking, feeling like weight was slowly creeping on no matter what I did whether I was eating a slice of cake a day or I was eating 1200 calories a day <laughs> it was just always I just felt like I didn't have any control over it and the fact that I feel like I've got 
control over it now just feels like a complete game changer for me yeah and control but without having to control it right without having to yeah. watch, count every yeah. calorie or watch everything it's like I just live my normal life I know what works yeah, yeah. and I know now that but also to have implemented these habits that don't really feel like work they just it's just mm. slight tweaks to what I was doing previously that just come naturally and that works for me and it's and it's great um and the same thing for me like I you know, a lot of people really struggle during pregnancy with like um, with a lot of weight gain and things like that. Whereas that hasn't, you know, hasn't been the case for me. It's been very easy for me to just um, have a steady weight gain that is an expected weight gain and not have to really think about what I'm eating or be really concerned about it. It's just an, a natural, normal part of it. Whereas people that, if it is, if you are gaining weight that doesn't make any sense to you or it doesn't as you said it doesn't matter whether you eat a piece of cake or whether you eat 1200 calories that's a really clear sign for me that it, that's that's your hormones doing that it's not what mm. you're eating or what you're exercising because everyone should be able to eat a piece of cake a week and not have any change in their weight right but that's not the case for a lot of people and so if that is the case for you it's a pretty clear sign that hormones aren't working properly and you really need to work on those because if you don't, it's going to be this constant battle for the rest of your life. So thank you so much, Daisy. That is amazing advice. And again, thank you so much for taking your time out on your honeymoon to talk to us and um, and share what you're doing. And if anyone's interested, I'll put the link to Daisy's Instagram and the show notes. You can follow along, um, especially if you're London-based and you want to check out a lot of her um, a lot of her restaurant recommendations. Or as you know, as you're going around the US, people in the US might want to follow where you're going and <laughs> and what you're eating. So thanks so much for sharing that. And um, and have a lovely time. Thank you. <laughs> so that's all for today. Remember that if you want personal help with your PCOS, then the best place for that is our PCOS protocol program. This is not some generic PDF that you get sent. This is the first week we understand, identify what's driving your PCOS, and then you get given the most important changes for you. So, and I'm there with you the whole way, answering questions, being there with you weekly on the video calls. Uh, further personalizing this for you and identifying if there's anything else that might be going on for you I mean every week we talk with different women about different symptoms and and you know that might lead them to get an endometriosis diagnosis or find out that they've got small intestinal bacterial overgrowth and that's what you can understand from hearing these stories from women uh, is about that often it's there's connecting issues that when we actually look at them holistically we figure out uh, what's actually happening for them so if you want more information about that, then there is a link in the show notes or you can head to thepcosnutritionist.com forward slash the PCOS protocol or just hit program from the main menu. And if you've got any questions, then please don't hesitate to email us. We're hello at thepcosnutritionist.com. Bye for now. Now stand by for our disclaimer. The information contained in this podcast has been prepared for the purpose of providing information including about the PCOS Nutritionist products and services and is designed to support clients' overall wellness. It is not intended to provide medical advice or designed to rectify, treat or cure any specific medical conditions or diseases. Nothing stated or shared in our podcast is intended to be and must not be taken to be medical advice. Please seek the advice of professionals, as appropriate, regarding the evaluation of any specific information, opinion, advice or content contained in our podcast.